Well, good morning to you. If you are joining us in person or if you're online, uh, either Sunday morning or maybe sometime that same week or another week or even another year, we are so glad that you're with us uh, this morning as we're in this series about the difference Jesus can practically make in our everyday life. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at a very small, small book. In fact, it's the third smallest book in your Bible, letter in the New Testament, and seeing how it actually has a great impact if we follow it. It's a confusing little letter. It's a letter that for some of us, we get a little tripped up on some of the language and some of the ideas. And I want to reiterate something. What I want to reiterate is that we need to remember that the Bible isn't written to us. So it's not a letter to like to Rob. It's a letter to a community or a person in a particular time and place. And we need to do our best to try and understand what was going on in that time and place and with that person or people before we start to say what it means to me. And so if you were with us last week as we were exploring this letter to Philemon, we saw that Philemon was a slave owner. And for many of us, we go, ooh, that's problematic. And understandably so, if we think about slavery in what we understand slavery to be. But in the first century world, it was not uncommon for someone who had money to have a slave. In fact, pretty much anybody who had money had slaves, and anybody who didn't have money was a slave. We're not saying that's okay. We're saying that was the reality of the time. In fact, a lot of the first century Roman poets and, and, and speakers and, and people who were philosophers would say that Rome was built on the backs of slaves. In fact, their whole economy was dependent upon the slave trade. Now, the slave trade was very different, again, than what we think of when we think of like the colonialist movements of the more recent history of how slavery was, people were taken from their places and brought to North America or to Europe. Slavery in that context, sometimes that happened in the first century world, but usually it was if a village was conquered like because of war, they would take the remaining people and bring them back as slaves. And they wouldn't have any real rights as citizens of that place, but they weren't treated as horribly as maybe what we think of in slavery. Or it could be that it was people themselves who would sell themselves into slavery because they couldn't afford to live. So they would sell themselves. And people who were slaves weren't just people who worked in fields, but in fact, they were accountants. They were people who worked in the government. They were really just cheap labor. And so in the first century world that Paul is writing this letter to, that's the context of what slavery is. It's different than what we usually will associate with the ideas of slavery from what we know in our more recent history in North America. Again, it's not saying we are pro-slavery in Scripture. It's saying that's the context that the Scripture was written in. So as Paul is writing to Philemon, who's a slave owner, we learn that Onesimus has done something. We don't know exactly what it is. He's cheated Philemon in some way, and Onesimus, the slave, goes to see Paul, converts to follow Jesus, and Paul says, I'm going to send you back to Philemon. And we could also, you know, easily go, that's crazy. Like, why would Paul send him back? He should say, you know, it doesn't, that's not how it works. And we can't fully understand why that might be in, in our understandings. You know, likely it's because Paul wasn't trying to start a rebellion, because once the slaves would rise up, maybe there would be a rebellion, and then it would put the Roman government even more opposed to Christianity. We don't know. That's speculation. 
But for whatever reason, he says, go back to him. And he also says that in going back to him, you have to understand that your status has changed. And Philemon has to understand that your status has changed. You're not a slave, you're a brother. And last week in the last message of the series, we looked at how our identity changes because of Jesus. Philemon, who's this wealthy person who has every right to do whatever he wants to this person who he claims authority over, Onesimus, because of Jesus, his status has changed. He doesn't actually have that authority anymore. It's Jesus who has authority. And in fact, Onesimus is up to his level. And Onesimus, who sees himself as a slave, he's down here, is no longer down there. In fact, he's a brother to Philemon. Again, they rise up, they become equals. So the difference that Jesus makes in us has to do with our identity, who we think we are and who society says we are. That's one of the things. The second thing that I want to look at is what comes out in this letter in practical application that could easily be missed as we're reading it. So I want to read this letter again and talk about what I see Paul teaching Philemon, Onesimus, and us about our relationships. So first, it's about our identity, who we are because of Jesus. We are not what society says. We are not what other people say. We are, in Christ, new. And those who are in Christ are equal. Now, what does that mean when you're in Christ and have relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, a uh, father, son, daughter, mother, family relationship, grandparent, working relationship, or just in society at large? What does it mean to be in relationship with a person who works at the gas station when you come home after work to get gas? What does it mean to be in relationship with the people at the grocery store? And you might not think of relationship that way. You might not think of it because you don't really have much concern about them. But the reality is we are in relationship with everybody in some way. So Philemon, this is what Paul wrote to this wealthy man. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Epipha, Aphia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you for God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, 
so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but will be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you any charge, it to anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as Paul's writing this letter, he's again saying, welcome back Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother. This is a change in dynamic. There are a variety of things that Paul says here that we could kind of quickly read and not really recognize fully that have to do with our dynamics in relationships. And I want to kind of go through the four that I really see standing out here. The first one is that when Paul writes, he says that he thanks his God for him when he remembers him in prayer. He has a gratitude for Philemon. Right? So one of the dynamics that changes in our relationship when we are changed in Christ is we are thankful for one another. Now think about that. Think about the relationships that you have. Now, in Onesimus and Philemon's case, this is a slave-master relationship. The closest thing we could probably relate to in our own lives is our boss and us. Now think about that dynamic. Now, a boss has a certain level of authority. You have a certain level of responsibility. It's not the same, for sure, but probably the most comparable comparison that we could think of. Are you thankful for the person who has authority over you? Or are you thankful for the person who has that responsibility? Or are you grumbling about your boss every day? Or are you grumbling about your colleague or employee every day? Right? What is our attitude to another person? Paul's attitude to Philemon is that of gratitude. He is grateful for him. Paul is, again, a person of authority because he has this uh, spiritual authority, apostolic authority, you would call it as a biblical word. He's someone called by God to lead God's people. And he has that authority over Philemon. And he says, I am grateful for you. Think about your relationships. Are you grateful for them. The second dynamic that comes up is when, just a little bit later, when Paul says, you know, I could, I could be bold and I could order you to do what, you, what I want you to do, right? I could, I could demonstrate my authority by saying, you need to do this. But instead, he appeals on the basis of love. It changes our dynamic in the sense that we are grateful for the other person, and then it changes how we approach the other person. We don't do it out of power or authority, but we do it out of humility 
and love. When you have someone you disagree with, or when you have someone who's maybe done something that they shouldn't have, how do you approach it? Maybe think about our relationship with our kids or our grandkids or our nieces or our nephews or just children in general. Typically, children don't always do what they're supposed to do, whether it's doing their homework, putting the dishes in the sink, or just you know, cleaning up after the dog or just being quiet just for a little bit so you, know, you can do what you have to do. Typically, kids just do whatever. When you approach them, when you try to go correct that or to comment on it, do you do it out of anger and say, you need to listen to me, just do what I tell you? Or do you peel out of love and humility and say, what's going on right now? Why are you so upset? Why, like, do you need attention right now? Is there something going on, right? Our, how we relate to other people when we have authority or power over them needs to be out of humility and love. That's the way of Jesus. That's a dynamic that Jesus changes in our relationships. The third thing that I think gets drawn out of here is that we forgive each other. Paul appeals to Philemon to say, you know, welcome him back. Welcome him back. Forgive him for what he's done. In fact, Paul will say, I will pay any debt that you think he owes. I'm sure Paul would do it. I'm sure Paul would, you know, do whatever financial stipulations were needed, whatever it might be. But I think what Paul is appealing to is that I'm asking you to forgive him for how he wronged you. Forgiveness for the other is a demonstration of the difference Jesus makes in our lives. It changes our identity of who we see ourselves as. It causes us to become grateful for other people. It causes us to act in humility and love and not power and authority. And it causes us to forgive other people when they wrong us. That's not to say you always let people wrong you. You keep letting people hurt you, doing wrong things to you. There are some things you just have to say, stop, you're not doing this anymore. But it does mean that you forgive, meaning you don't carry the burden, the suffering, the pain, the anger because of what they did to you. To act in forgiveness is to say, okay, I know what you did. I'm not diminishing it, but I will forgive you in the sense that I will say, I'm not holding against you anymore. Doesn't mean you have to automatically trust someone who's harmed you. Doesn't mean you have to be their best friend or forget about what they did. But it is saying, I'm not holding this against you anymore. You have a new opportunity to either earn my trust, earn my friendship, whatever it might be. But when we are in Christ, the difference he makes is he invites us to forgive people who wrong us. Not always easy to do. Some people have really hurt us. I'm sure that if I were to take a poll of the people who are either online or in person, you would have stories of really horrible things people have done to you. And it's hard for you to forgive. It's hard to you forgive because maybe that person doesn't even know they did something so horrible to you. Maybe they keep doing horrible things to you. Maybe there are scars and pain that you carry. But when we're in Christ, he invites us not to carry it, but for him to carry it for us. And as we give to Jesus our pain, our sorrow, our suffering, he invites us to forgive the other, even if they don't know 
they've done wrong. Because, ultimately, we know God has forgiven us even when we didn't know we did wrong. The fourth thing that I think comes out in Philemon, which I think is so important in our relationships, is the dynamic of where Paul says, you know, he's no longer a slave, but better than a slave, a brother. In Jesus, it changes our societal standing. Just because you have lots of money, great education, doesn't make you better than somebody who's never gone to school and lives paycheck to paycheck. Just because you grew up in Ottawa doesn't make you better than somebody who says, like, grew up in Florida. You know, just because of where you're from, your, your race, your background, your financial situation, your education, those things don't make you who you are. They may be the things that you project to people. They may be the things that you tell people, oh, this is who I am. I'm a police officer. I'm a teacher. I'm a mother. I'm, I'm a baker. Whatever you might say, but that's not you. Who you are is in Christ. Your identity is shifted. And because of that, others are at that same identity. You are equal to each other. We're not to be lording ourselves with authority and power over people, but living as people in Christ who see each other as equals. Paul, in this very short letter, says, first, your identity has changed. You're no longer just you or what people say about you, but you are in Christ. And in Christ, you're different. No matter what people say, you're different. And because of that, it changes how you view other people. You no longer view people as you saw them before. You are grateful for other people. You also don't treat people from your place of authority and talk down to them. You, you treat them with humility and love. And you forgive people. And you see each other as equals. That's what happens in Christ. That's a difference that Jesus makes. Paul, in this short letter, explains to Philemon, you need to live out a life that demonstrates you follow Jesus. In fact, what I think Paul is doing in this letter without referencing it is he's going back to what he wrote to the church in Philippi. Now, the thing about the first century letters, these letters that are written to particular churches in particular situations, is they were likely circulated around other churches. People would bring them as they visited, and they would read those together. So there's a good chance Philemon has heard this letter to the Philippian church. And in it, Paul writes this in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. In chapter 2, verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, took on the very nature of a servant. Now that word servant, if you remember from last week, is the word doulos. And that word doulos is the same word that gets used for slave. So Jesus says he brought that on himself. He put himself at that same level, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Paul is reminding Philemon, this is what the Christian life looks like. He's reminding us that too. That in our relationships, we should be like Christ. And as he tells Philemon, that means being grateful for people. And he doesn't even actually say, Philemon, you should be grateful. He demonstrates it in how he lives. That's what I love about Paul is he's demonstrating the change Jesus makes. You're grateful for people. You you don't use your authority, but you come in love and humility. You don't hold each other's wrongs against each other. You forgive. You give new opportunities. And ultimately, you see each other as equals. In your relationships, have that mindset like Jesus. Think about your relationships. Whether it's the person you see asking for change on the corner of the street when you go driving, or the person who lives in your home and maybe asks you to cook meals so many times a day and it drives you nuts, but they're teenagers, so you love them anyway. Think about your relationships in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage, in your, with your extended families, within your church. Are you grateful for those people? Are you connecting with them, treating them with humility and love? Are you forgiving of them when maybe they wrong you and even you don't, they don't know that they've wronged you? And do you see them as equals? In your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus. What an awesome privilege that is to be more and more like Jesus, the one who died for us and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, even when we didn't know we committed even then we didn't know we were separated with him. He humbly came in the likeness of a servant so that we could have a relationship with God forever. And we get to be like him in our relationships with each other. What a privilege. What a joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did come to this earth in the person of Jesus. That in Jesus, this God who becomes flesh comes to us to demonstrate to us how we should be in relationship with each other, but also to give us opportunity to be in relationship with you, God. That through Jesus, your death and resurrection, we have this opportunity to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe, to be forgiven of our sins, and be given the opportunity to not identify with what other people tell us or whatever society says or what we struggle with or the mistakes we've made or even our successes, but to be found in you, Christ, and be made new and made whole. Jesus, you say you came to give us life in all of its fullness. And I know that relates to our relationships. Help us to have the same mindset as you, to be people who are grateful for other people, to be people who act in humility and love towards others, who are forgiving, and who see each other as equals. And I pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next week, we're going to conclude this series with actually people telling the story of how Jesus has made a difference in their baptism, and I can't wait for that. And as you go, though, today, may the God of all Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit.